Hello, everyone, and welcome to the uh, first fall 2021 edition of the Rebookulously Goodreads Book Club, brought to you by First Presbyterian Church of Hastings, Nebraska. Uh, we'll say a little bit more about what we're doing in just a moment, but first, uh, I want to invite folks to introduce themselves. So, I am Damon Jensen Heitman. I am one of the pastors at First Presbyterian Church, Hastings, Nebraska. And joining me in this conversation, let's start with Anne. Welcome. Uh, how are you? Oh, I'm good. Thank you. And um, yeah, I am Anne Fairbanks Bolke. I am a retired English professor and also administrator at Hastings College. And so it's really been interesting and enjoyable for me to be kind of back in the sort of professorial mode again. I, I, I'm excited to be talking about this book and anticipating learning all sorts of things from the other leaders and, and from other participants. Very nice. Uh, thank you, Anne, for joining us. Uh, I'm just gonna move down on my screen at least. Uh, Constance, how are you this morning? I'm fine, thank you. I'm coming to you from France. <laughs> this is the inside of a French household. Um, I am also a retired English professor from Hastings College, and I will be teaching a couple courses there again this year. Um, and very happy to be with you. Uh, we had such a good time discussing Gilead that I'm excited that we're again while well, discussing the next one in the series. Um, found a lot of depth in it <laughs> again, like I did with Gilead. Good deal. And last but certainly not least, Jenny, how are you this morning? I'm doing well, thank you. I'm Jenny Welsh. I have been teaching English, college English for the last 16 years. Um, I switched from full-time to part-time after starting to have kids. And now my full-time job is taking care of five kids. Um, but I do still teach online classes currently for Bellevue University. And so I've never been part of the Hastings College department, but fun fact, and I don't expect her to remember this, but Constance, you actually interviewed me for a position when I was a fresh wee babe out of grad school. Uh, but Hastings College didn't have any full-time Oh, positions. Okay. So I went a different route, but here we are okay. still discussing oh. and back together. So I'm really looking forward to this. Mm -hmm. uh, I really enjoyed our last discussions about Gilead. So I can't wait to dive into home with you all. Yeah, yeah very nice. So uh, Constance and Jenny, you both alluded to this, but for folks <clears throat> uh, playing along at home, this edition of the book club is um, so I'm looking for my copy of the old book that I don't have close to me, but is as a follow-up to a book club that we did um, in the summer of 2020 uh, when the pandemic was, was still fresh. <laughs> um, we decided to do this book club as a way of, of trying to help folks in the congregation stay connected uh, amidst the separation brought on by the pandemic. And so we started reading a book called Gilead by Marilyn Robinson. And that's the book that I'm looking to have close to me and I don't, so I can't hold it up for show and tell. Um, 
But uh, Marilyn Robinson has written, actually, I think that there's four books uh, within what I'm going to call the Gilead universe. And, and so we are reading one of the other books. And, and that book is, is this one. Uh, by, see, there's, there's the author's name, Marilyn Robinson. And there's a lovely sunset or something. Uh, we don't need to give more airtime to Oprah. But uh, there it is. There's the title, <coughs> Home by Marilyn Robinson. And so as you might expect, a lot of characters that were in Gilead uh, also show up in Home. Um, but the characters in Gilead who were some were kind of side character, they weren't the main protagonist at the very least in Gilead. Uh, Home makes them the main characters or the protagonists. And you learn about their story and how it connects maybe with the story from Gilead or doesn't um, or that sort of thing. So uh, I don't know if I explained that well enough, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, but we'll find out, I suppose. So, um, so as I said, uh, a lot of the characters that were in Gilead return in, in home. And so I thought it might be interesting for us to start uh, with uh, what do you remember, right? As a way of refreshing our memories, hopefully other folks are also reading the book uh, as a way of sort of refreshing their memory as well, right? So I want to start with what do you remember, right? Uh, and first I want to start with, um, do you remember <laughs> how to pronounce uh, the main character's last name? That was my first question. Can we just, can we come to a consensus? Because this time we have to say his name far more often than we did last time because he is more of the focus. So please someone tell me how we're saying this. Well, Jenny, I feel, yeah, go ahead, Constance. Oh, well, as I told Damon earlier, I actually looked it up online in one of those things that will pronounce it for you. And it pr was pronounced Bowton. But as we all know, O-U-G-H plus T, can be pronounced a thousand different ways. No. Maybe not a thousand, but an awful lot. <laughs> I'm happy to try to remember to say Bowden, even though it goes against my natural inclination um, to, to pronounce it differently. But I won't even share my natural inclination right now for fear of uh, poison, poisoning the water. <laughs> So, uh, so Boten, uh, uh, Boten is a minister in the town of Gilead, uh, Gilead, Iowa. I forget what kind of a minister. I mean, he's the Presbyterian. Ah, thank you. Yes. And, and Ames, what was Ames then? He was Methodist. No, no, he's he's congregational. Congregational. That's right. Okay. And this is congregational before the UCC, I okay. think. I'm pretty sure it is as well. Yeah. Uh, so there's two ministers in this town, uh, Ames, who is kind of the main protagonist of Gilead, and his dear friend, uh, Reverend Bowden, whose name, whose first name right now I can't think of, or maybe I don't even know it. Robert. <laughs> Robert. Robert Bowden. Um, okay. Uh, and then we have uh, Bowden's daughter glory who i don't really really remember much from 
Gilead about Glory. I don't know if anybody else does or not. She was sort of just a side character. Right, she's there, but mm-hmm. not in a big way. We don't really get to know her. Uh, and then, of course, maybe not of course, but then we also have Jack. Right? <laughs> uh, <you> know, what, <laughs> what do we remember about Jack? I want to know why Anne just made that face. So Anne, tell us what you remember about Jack. <laughs> well, as, as, as the novel begins, he's pretty consistent with what I expect with um, having read Gilead. And, and I also, I have not read the whole series, but I did read the story in The New Yorker that, that gave, you know, some, um, you know, kind of antecedent stuff about, um, about Jack, mm-hmm. and 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 I also read um, an interview in, again in the New Yorker with Marilyn Robinson about the series. So I mean, I, I mean, I really struggled to find much that was positive about Jack in any of the things that that I read about him. I mean, I mean, I just really have trouble with with um, a character that just seems to go around causing pain to everybody, including himself, and in ways that would be so easy to avoid. I mean, um, I, I, I kind of find, found myself yelling at him a lot as I read. Um, and now, as the book continued, I felt a little bit less negative, but still my overall impression what was that he is, um, you know, kind of a kind kind of kind of a bad guy, I guess. I'm struggling. I'm struggling for words here, and um, I will be interested to hear what all of you think about him. Yes. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead, Constance. I I would just say that's kind of a central question, I think, about this novel is why is Jack, um, why does he cause so much pain? Does he intend to? Is it something in his character? Is it something about the way he was raised? And, you know, I... I hope we can come to some kind, you know, really look as we read and see if we can figure out why he is such a either lost or damned soul. And of course, he does, he does himself raise the question of predestination. Exactly. And I, I find I find that really interesting, particularly since he has a Presbyterian father. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I th- I think that's now that you mentioned that, uh, and that that's something that happens in Gilead, I think, right? Because uh, mm-hmm. Jack and Ames um, share a name, right? Uh, Jack was named after Ames, and so when Jack comes back to town, he engages in this kind of series of hesitant. Uh, conversations with Ames and Ames is pretty 
distrustful of Jack and seems to kind of resent that they share a name uh, with one another. That conversation about predestination and uh, and can a person be redeemed seems like one of their a conversation that they have in in Gilead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, they, uh, have, they, they have kind of a follow up. They have a follow up conversation to it in home as well. I okay. mean, late. Later in the book, not 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 in the, the opening pages. Okay. Yep. Um, let's see. Constance is on the move again. I'm sorry. I'm finding some stuff. <laughs> That's fine. Um, so I suppose maybe in the interest of, of full disclosure, um, we should kind of share. Uh, Constance, I know, has read all of the books in in this series. Uh, I have not. I've read Gilead and the first 49 pages of Home. So that's kind of where I am. Um, Jenny, where where are you? I'm in the same place as you, in part just to keep it fresh so I don't confuse myself because, yes, I'm so I'm, I'm just following our little schedule that you set out for us with this. Yeah. So I'm on page 50. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. And Anne? And yeah, I've read Gilead and Home, and and as I mentioned, that um, short story um, from the New Yorker and the interview with with Marilyn Robinson. Okay. I've not not read the the rest of the series as as Constance has. Okay, perfect. So, um, so not, the next question that I have is sort of, um, you know, going into going into the, going into home, right? Um, what sort of expectations do you have or did you have? Um, are there things that you are or were hoping to learn or to figure out or just enjoy uh, about the book? Sort of what just sort of what sorts of things uh, are you looking, are you on the lookout for, I suppose? want to make way for other people too. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'll reiterate that question about why Jack is um, a tormenting and tormented soul. Oh, uh, Constance, louder, please. Okay. Well, I'm reiterating that I'm, I have been curious and I'm still curious about why Jack is such a tormenting and tormented soul. I think I'm looking at that for sure, because Jack seems to be, somebody was saying something earlier about why is Jack so, and I wanted to say, Jack, why is Jack so Jack? I don't know, but he is, this just seems to be his way. And that's definitely something to be mindful of as we read. Um, Something that jumped out for me right away, just in the first 50 pages of starting this, is this idea of, of the setting and, and the idea, the question of home, there seem to be lots of little definitions of things popping up. At least that's what I've been noticing, definitions of home, definitions of family, of what it is to be a teacher, all of these things. Um, so I'm sort of looking at, 
I guess the building blocks of, of where the story is taking place. The the setting, the, the house and the, the churches then come into this that was connected to Gilead too, this idea of the buildings themselves and, and what role they play, which I think is valid. Um, so I'm looking at the characters, but then also the places in which they're existing and moving. Yeah, I think, I think Jenny, you had mentioned uh, in some of your notes, uh, you talked about the, the opening pages, the house itself is described like a character um, and not just a setting. Yeah, well, it literally compares the house to a wife, an old wife, by the way. Um, and, and it goes on for a little bit, just on the very first couple of pages about the idea of the house. I mean, it's, it's a lived in house. It's a family, it's a big family's house. And I just thought that was an interesting way. It became very um, personified, which makes sense. Our houses do that sometimes. Um, but yeah, that, that jumped out at me right away that like the, the house is not just a home, but the house is also a player. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I seem to recall like, at some point, Glory um, said, you know, or thinks to her, like she would, she would have taken down the curtains if she could have. Uh, and and put up new curtains and she would have gotten rid of all the old uh, knickknacks and various little gifts um, that had accumulated over the years if she could have um, but the house sort of yeah it's described as a, it's it, it seems like one of those houses where you go in and my, my grandma's house was this way you went in and you think, oh, nothing has changed in here for the last mm-hmm. 30 to 40 years, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? Um, and maybe, I don't know, maybe Bowden is the same way. I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm very interested in the character of, of Glory also. And the way the novel, I mean, She's like Jack in some ways. She's terribly different from him, or well, um, she's very different from him in 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 other ways. And 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 you know, fellow English teachers, um, I hope you enjoyed the little the little snapshot that we had of what teaching English was like in Des Moines in the fifties. Can you imagine having? High school students read Il Penseroso for heaven's sake. I've done that, Anne. <laughs> Pardon me. I've done that. <laughs> oh, you mean had high school kids read it? Yeah. Or you've read it? Oh, no. I mean, <laughs> I had students do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. It, I mean, it was it boggles for people, not for others. <laughs> I, I was going to say it, 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 it boggles the mind. Mm hmm. Now, some of us, uh, I didn't grow up in Des Moines, but I grew up in Iowa, but not in the 50s. Uh, so we did not read Il Penseroso, and I don't know what it is. Well, Il Penseroso is one of two companion poems by John Milton. And 
the Il, Il Penseroso is the contemplative poem. I mean, he's thinking, you know, pensée. Um, and the companion poem is L'Allegro, which is about, you know, somebody who's getting up and doing things. And I think that's where the, the expression trip the light fantastic comes from that. But I mean, it's Milton for heaven's sake, you know, it's um, not easy to, to read as a college student, just to read it yourself, let alone to try to find something in it that high school students are going to relate to. I mean, if you, and, it, and, and I'm taking, and I'm gathering that she's one of these teachers who did try to find things for students to relate to. She didn't just tell them, you know, we'll find 10 lines and memorize them and see you tomorrow. Yeah, I agree so, with you that she was not that kind of teacher because right after the, the, one of the mentions of Milton is where we get one of those definitions here. And she says, I took it as a definition of teaching or of her teaching philosophy, I should say, where she said she was helping them assume their humanity. Mm -hmm. So she was yeah. not just in this to run through exercises and grammar and, and such. Like she saw her role as a instructive not not just for their their writing skills yeah it's for their souls for their civic duty mm -hmm. their moral duty etc or benefit yeah. and i seem to recall part of that also was um she she wanted to encourage them to see themselves as creators of these source of things right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you said something that was really interesting to me. Uh, you felt that, uh, so, so Gloria is one of Bowden's children uh, who uh, she was teaching in, in Des Moines. Gilead is also a small town in Iowa. Uh, she was teaching in Des Moines, seems to have really been enjoying that, um, had a fiance, was engaged something with that fell through not i haven't gotten to all of that backstory just yet um and now has come back home to take help to take care of her aging father uh and jack is another is was, would be her brother right um and jack is it, he's kind of a prodigal son it, character it kind of seems um but and you said that um, you felt that Gloria and Jack were similar in some ways. And I'm wondering if you would be willing to say more about that. Well, I think at this point, what I would say is that both Jack and Glory have come home because have come to this place because they feel like they don't have any other place to be. They're both mm -hmm. in a sense outcasts or you know, outsiders. And in, in other ways, of course, they're very, very different. But I, but I do think they they share that kind of outsider status. I think they're both a little ashamed to be home, or um, they're disappointed in themselves. 
Oh, absolutely. And notice neither one of them wants to have any any contact with people of Gilead. You know, they don't want to go to the grocery store, you know, at least at the beginning of the novel. They don't want to go to the post office. They don't want to run into this person or, or that person. Oh, yeah. I think the the shame, the shame factor is big for both of them. Yeah. And I, I know Gloria does doesn't really want to talk to um, Ames because she knows that her dad tells Ames everything. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, nobody has any secrets. Well, <laughs> the family has no secrets from Ames and they'd prefer that their father uh, be a little more discreet. Yeah. It's interesting to me the way Glory's story unfolds or rather doesn't in the opening pages, I kept, it's it's almost a very slow drawing out of what, the, the way you described it, Damon, it's like, yeah, we don't really like, okay, she was teaching and there was a fiance, but why is she, I mean, it seems like there's more to it than, it seems like there's more to the story that's maybe coming. Um, and it's written in a very leading, way I mean I'm, I'm like there's there's which makes me think that makes me think that there is I don't know if sensational is the right word but it just again almost this like lack of willingness to talk about it so so we know something serious happened maybe right well and that's and that's another similarity to Jack you know I mean we we um you know this business that there are other things that we don't know and and and, and that kind of stuff Yes. So maybe, maybe Gilead set me up to think this <laughs> based on how things went for Jack and Gilead, then I'm expecting Glory's story to have more to it as we continue with home. Yeah, Jenny, that was the thing that I had to remember about the writing style in, in these books is to me, it was really, it's written in a way that like, if I just, if I sit down and I read like, 20 or 30 pages, um, I'll take it all in, but I will miss a lot. Mm -hmm. it, it's kind of, I need to read like five pages and then just like sit and, and just kind of savor that for a little bit yeah. because it, um, and I was, I was reminded of this from, from the writing style in Gilead, that Gilead was a lot of, I thought really reflected this sort of Midwestern way of having a conversation and like and really slowly re like there's something that I really want to tell you but I also don't really want to tell you so I, I'm going to give you like this little piece of it and then yeah, and then I'm going to see you good. later and maybe in a couple other days maybe I'll tell you a little bit more um that little sort of hints at things um but um so we get Kind of at the start of this, uh, we get some 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 stories, some memories of how these folks were as children, and kind of what the Bowden household um, was like when they were growing up. Um, and we get uh, stories about um, Reverend Bowden, you know, preaching, and he would look to where his family was. Um, and sometimes Jack would be there, but most of the time Jack wouldn't be. Um, 
and the frequency that Bowden would give sermons on forgiveness and uh, what it means to, to offer forgiveness. And, and uh, there, there he would smile as he was preaching. Yeah, yep. And that's how they knew if Jack was there or not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, which was one of the stories that I thought was, was interesting um, had to do with, with the Bowden's land. Um, and there were neighbors, Mr. Trotsky, who... I'm sure not his real name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, who would plant some sort of a crop. I, I don't quite remember just what it was. Uh, on, on like the back half of, of their land uh, without ever asking permission. Uh, and Bowden seemed like he really wanted to confront Mr. Trotsky about it, but never actually did. Um, and then the children at some point end up sort of trampling what the guy has planted back there. And, and Bowden makes them go apologize. But he, he's sending them to apologize in part because he thinks that it'll give him some sort of moral high ground. <laughs> uh, and that doesn't really work. It didn't seem. Um, I, I don't know if that little story uh, jumped out to you folks what or what you made of that little story. Well, it's alfalfa. And I remember that because I, well, I wrote this down in my notes. And now I can't see it on the page. But I wrote it down on the margin with the trespass alfalfa. Did, did the character refer to it as that? The trespass as alfalfa? Or did I just come up with that term? Because they go into this whole idea of trespassing. And, and again, it's coming back to this definition of like what Christianity is. And it, they say something about how it says on page 10, it says, this is the very act against which Christians leverage the fate of their own souls. Since they were, if they listened to their own prayers, obliged to forgive those who trespassed against them because they were so mad about the neighbors encroaching on their land, even though they weren't really using the land, but it was their land and it's this back and forth. And so anyway, in my brain, this was the trespass alfalfa. <laughs> oh, I like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and the word trespass is in there is in there for sure, whether whether or not it's directly applied that way. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's interesting. Well, I think the, and, um, and as I mentioned in, in, in my, in my notes in in the study guide, we do have, at least by implication, several different versions of the way people should live or what, um, you know, what would be like the ideal, a kind of heaven on earth or, or another Eden. Um, and we have Reverend Bowden, who, in a way that seems a little bit unchristian, isn't willing. I mean, he's not using the land, but yet he is, um, he's resentful that his neighbor is using it and actually planting a crop that benefits the land. I mean, he's not only using it, I mean, he's, he's making the land better. And then we have reference to, um, Engels, you know, Frederick Engels and his idea of, you know, um, you know, kind of pre-communist, you know, sharing the wealth and all that kind of stuff. And W.E.B. Du Bois as well. And, and his vision of, of what our, 
our country should be like, and um, particularly with respect to African-Americans. And of course, that's something that's kind of um, behind the whole novel. And one of, one of my questions, and um, that maybe you all can help me with this, um, how, how much does this novel assume that we know about Jack's personal life and about Della and her role in his life? Because it's not it is not explicitly revealed until the last few pages. Of home or in Gilead? What was oh, the of, um, of home. Oh, okay. But I think nor was it in Gilead. I don't think we really knew much about Della, did we? So, See, that's, that, that's what I'm trying to remember. And, and um, in, in that New Yorker short story, you know, it's, it's very detailed and very explicit. And then, and then, we, and, and then we get some um, less detailed references at the very end of um, home. Okay. But not, but um, not until then. And, and so, I, I mean, as I'm dealing with Jack, I'm thinking, Jack, why don't you tell them? Why don't you tell um, your father and Glory about, about this woman in your life? I mean, I mean, really tell them. And, and I, I guess I'm wondering as a reader, am I, is it expected that, that I know this about Della or not? Because it makes a difference in, in, in how you read the novel, you know, how you interpret. Yeah, it does. But I think on the other hand, aren't you supposed to also be conscious of the fact that there are no African-American people in this community? And um, in the background of home, we get the TV news about race riots. And I'm not sure if I'm jumping ahead, but in Memphis, there are race riots and Bowton says, oh, you know, I wish they'd be nicer people or pull themselves up by their bootstraps. Their bootstraps, oh yeah, yeah. So, I mean, Jack is not really encouraged to confide in his father in that way. Well, he's, he's not, and yet if he, is going to have any kind of an honest relationship and change his and, and, and change his life for the better, isn't he going to have to come to terms with this? I mean, and, and yes, he's, he's in a situation that must be just horrendous. I mean, I just can't imagine, mm -hmm. but it's the situation he's in and he doesn't seem to, he isn't willing to share this honestly with either his father or his sister. No, he trusts Ames more with it, which is very interesting. Yeah, yeah. It was interesting to start this book and try to, without, without going back and looking at Gilead, because I didn't, I maybe should go back and read like the last 20 pages, it might be helpful. But 
but to to realize how this story is layered into just the timing of the two in the sense of after reading Gilead we know that Jack does come back and we get a, a, a decent sense of who he is and what's going on with him at least sort of sort of decent and then with this one where we're backing up and we're also coming in with Glory's story um, but it was for for me as I was reading I was trying to track this into the timeline of the of the first novel to be like oh this is okay it's just it's interesting to it's not like one ended and then we picked up and continued the story right. went back to get more of that like alternative perspective I guess that we didn't have in the first book which is very interesting I think in terms of the writing style and what we're learning about these characters and that even the way they're presented in the first book, it feels like we're getting, like we are, at least I feel like I'm getting a different vantage point or mm -hmm. a different perspective on these characters from the second book. I don't, I don't know if anyone else feels the same. Yeah, no, I, I, I think we are as well. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to me because in our conversation, I think that there's, that, that the author is not, not playing around with, but wondering of just like the concept of, of what constitutes as a, as a, as a, as a trespass, um, if you're into pronouncing it that way, right? Um, like, is Mr. Trotsky really trespassing? Is he really trespassing on, on Bowden in some way or, is the land is there it's not being used uh, they're, they're making use of it and uh, it's benefiting not only Mr. Trotsky but Mr. Trotsky's uh what are they country cousin it's like country cousin I think is the phrase that gets used for it um and then and then also this but clearly Bowden feels that he's being wronged um, in some way, but, but maybe even he wonders if he really is being wronged because he never confronts the guy on it. Um, and at some point, he, you know, he kind of says, if he'd only ask that I'd be happy to let him do it. Right. Um, and I think, and I think that we have some of these same questions with some of the things that Jack does, um, when he's a teenager, I think he's pretty clearly <laughs> transgressing someone, right? Um, so then he kind of grows up and he moves, I think he's in St. Louis, right? So. Um, and he becomes involved with an African-American woman. And, and there's maybe a cultural sort of sense at the time that this is some sort of a trespass but then the, but there's this, but there's certainly folks who are saying, is it really though? <laughs> no, it's not. And um, although, although it's, it's a trespass in the social code of the time yeah. in the effect it's going to have on her, yeah. on this woman yeah. that he, that he supposedly loves. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he should have picked up the papers and handed them to her and walked her home and said, you know, it's nice that I met you. Um, 
you know, she, because of her involvement with him, you know, she, she will lose her job, which is as good a job as an African-American woman could have in those times. She'll be on the outs with her very supportive family who, and here's another comparison and contrast, you know, who are also headed by a minister. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, this, yeah, I think that that trespass idea is, it is a really interesting one to look at in the novel. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's a good point. And maybe another example of Jack, uh, not necessarily thinking through the full ramifications of his actions um, for others. Yeah. So, well, and, and when the ramifications, I'm, I'm sorry, I keep interrupting, but here I go again, especially when the ramifications are actually so obvious because Jack, and obvious to Jack, I mean, he, you know, he's aware of all these terrible things who are, that are happening to African-Americans who are trying to change the status quo but it doesn't stop him. So that's one of the, that's one of the reasons that that I um, you know have 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 trouble appreciating Jack as his character, cutting him much slack, as it were. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, at least in Gilead, I know that 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 relationship gets revealed very close to the end mm-hmm. of the novel, um, and. Up to up to my reading, at least in home, it hasn't been um, revealed or really even hinted at. Um, but we do <clears throat> so. Also, towards the start, um, oh, I'm just looking at my list. We we talked kind of a little bit about that Glory used to teach, um, yeah. and yeah, go ahead, Constance. Oh, I was just going to say, it seems to me there are lots of interesting alter egos in the novel and Della and Glory seem to be kind of alter egos. (laughs) You know, Bowden and Ames are kind of alter egos. And Uh, and then we get this this sort of process of... um, there were there were shades of Jack. Uh, Jack sends a letter uh, to home saying, "I'm gonna I'm gonna come for a visit in a couple of weeks, right?" Uh, and then a couple of weeks, and Bowden gets really excited about this, and and Gloria fears that he's just setting him up for a fall. And a couple of weeks pass, uh, no Jack, and then they get. Uh, the phone call, which got capitalized in the in the in the writing, uh, the phone call. Jack says, "I'm, I'll be there in a couple of days." A couple of days pass, then they get the second phone call uh, that he'll be there. To, I don't know in another passing of time, um, and then after that third call, he does actually he does finally show up. It it reminded me biblically of Jacob returning to Esau. Uh, so Jacob wrongs Esau, runs away, uh, steals sheep and wives <laughs> from people. Uh, um, he's more successful than Jack is, uh, amasses some sort of wealth, and then w- wants to return home and in the process of doing it, but he also fears for his life from his brother. Uh, for good reason, because his brother said that he was going to kill him if he ever saw him again, right? Um, 
And so he sends, he sends all of his servants ahead of him for starters. And then he, like, he sends all of his sheep ahead of him. And then he sends uh, his family ahead of him. And, and all of it is this sort of go there and beg for forgiveness for me. <laughs> and then, uh, and there was some sort of reflection of that. I, I felt in Jack's sort of, I, I need to go do this. I want to go do this, but also this might not go well for me. Um, and I don't know if anything about that stood out to anybody else. But. Well, I like what you pointed out in your notes and what you just mentioned that they're capitalized. I mean, these, these events have become proper nouns. Like this is, you know, and I don't know if that's because it's Jack that because things associated with Jack in this family or in his relationship with his father seem to be events with a capital E sort of thing, or, or is that coming from glory? And it's coming with a sibling's take on the phone call, you know, and there's just, there just seems to be some layered, I don't know what word I want to use here, but there's just, there are some layers with those titles given to that, like sort of like very, what we now know is very Jack-like behavior to, to proceed in this way. But I think it's an interesting point that you made about where he, maybe he's anticipating this isn't going to go well. And so it, maybe it's also some self-preservation mm -hmm. of his own. I, I would add, and this is a, a minor point, but like with, with the, with that wonderful stylistic thing with capitalizing, you know, the telephone call. I can remember from the, I, I was a little kid in the fifties and my, my family was scattered around all through the United States. And the idea of getting a long distance telephone call from somebody was really a big deal. And the prices, if we look at them now without context, um, it wasn't expensive. But it was, but actually, I mean, if you looked at what it cost, relate what a phone, a long distance call related, cost related to people's incomes. I mean, it, it was very expensive, and I, I can remember once um, my mom and, and her mother had had planned that, um, or my grandmother, my mom's mother was going to call at noon on a certain day, and and so. You know, we all had to, had to be sure to be home and all that sort of thing. We set the egg timer, you know, for the three minutes. That was what it cost. Um, and, and so I think there's, there's kind of that element of 50s realism, too, with the idea that, that a phone call is, is a, a long distance call is a big deal. I also think, though, that the narrative is extremely tinged by Glory's uh, perspective. Um, it is not, I was thinking in remembering the novel that it was first person, it is not, but it has a lot to do with Glory's attitudes toward things. And she's mad at Jack before he comes. She's really mad and really resentful. And so that, that might be. And then the thing that strikes me about all that is all the baking that Glory's done that she has to throw out because it's rotten by the time he gets there. And that would really make me mad too. Yeah. Somebody who cooks. 
Well, and sneaking it out to give to the neighbor's dogs. I mean, right. <laughs> so, oh yeah. And I, I, what you say about this being tinged with, you know, gl with uh, Glory's perspective, I think, you know, that is so true. And, you know, if we, I think, shouldn't ever forget here that Jack hasn't been home in 20 years. Yeah, I forgot that. Did we know that detail for sure in Gilead? Because that surprised me when I read it, which doesn't mean that it wasn't in the first book, but it, I, uh, oh, wow. Okay. That's longer than I remembered it being. I think we must have known something like that because yeah. Gilead, we knew that um, Reverend Bowden sent money to Jack to come home for his mother's funeral and he bought a suit for the funeral and then he didn't go home. And that's the suit he was wearing when he met Della, which made her think he was a minister as well. Yeah, and, and the last time that Jack was home, um, I, if I read it correctly, Glory was the only other, I think Glory's the youngest, right? That's how I read it. And she was the only one of the kids that was around at that yeah. time, right? Uh, and when last time the Jack was home, I, he ended up having and having a child um, with a with a girl who seemed to an impoverished young girl. I don't know how young. That seems pretty young. Younger um, than Glory, so younger than sixteen. Yeah. Yeah. And um, much to the kind of shame and pain of uh, most everyone in that situation. And, I, and that child, and, and I had forgotten this, that it, Glory is the one who drove her dad to go and meet this child, right? Um, and Glory seemed to be kind of of two minds about it, that... Uh, we celebrate the birth of children. Why aren't we celebrating this child uh, and not really understanding what was going on? And I seem to recall that that child dies. Yes. Very young age. Um, and that must have been the last time that Jack was home. I would yeah. Have, right? <laughs> I'm trying to remember which novel it was and it might be home. No, it must have been Gilead where, or maybe it's home and Glory's remembering, but Glory says something about the young mother and Jack says at the time as a young teenager, very callously, well, you've seen her. So it, you know, that was a heartless yeah. Yeah. SOB at that point. Yeah, and so I, th I think, uh, Jenny, I, I liked what you were saying about um, maybe just everything with Jack is an event in the family, right? That, and that kind of seems to be the impression that, that Glory had growing up. Like Jack's shadow was always hanging over, right? Uh, whether or not he was at or not at church was an event they'd be they'd be playing a yard game and then jack would disappear and the yard game would have to stop and so they would all go looking for jack to see what he had gotten into this time um 
and yeah, there's something just sort of about Jack. It, and then he was, uh, what's the phrase? Conspicuously absent <laughs> um, at, at family, at family gatherings, holidays, at his mother's funeral. Um, there's, there's, he's the one in the family whose shadow, whether he's there or not, uh, his shadow looms, looms large. And I don't think that is just Glory's perspective, although we do, like you said, the word tinged, with, that, that was a good word. Um, we definitely are getting that in, in this book. I mean, but we got that in the first book too, that Jack just brings with him a certain energy or concern or just, they're very, it, for whatever reason, he's the, and when you were talking earlier, um, what jumped into my brain when you were describing Jack is he's, he stirs the pot. I mean, and most likely or almost always in not great ways. Yeah, and Damon, back to your saying, he's a prodigal son. You get that same kind of resentment of the son who you know, has been faithful and here's this jerk that squandered everything and lived a life you know, not befitting his upbringing, comes home and the father's, you know, getting out the fatted calf and the sandals and the robe and the ring or whatever. And Glory didn't get any of that. (laughs) Yeah, but yeah, that's, yeah, I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, he gets the letter and sends, and they buy up all this food and make a whole bunch of pies and whatnot and uh and then they just sit there <laughs> mm-hmm. and and go bad um because jack doesn't show up when he's when he's supposed to or how he's supposed to um, uh, somebody this reminded me of something that i read in our little uh discussion thing and i can't um quite find it just right now but um we've kind of talked around this a little bit and we've talked directly about it as well, but uh, something that stood out to me on page 45, um, there's this discussion of uh, Bowden would talk about apparently rather frequently when Gloria was growing up, forgiveness and understanding. And um, I forget which, let me see if I can just find it relatively quickly um there is a saying that to understand is to forgive but that is an error so papa used to say you must forgive in order to understand until you forgive you defend yourself against the possibility of understanding your father had said this more than once in sermons with appropriate texts but the real text was jack and those to whom he spoke were himself and the row of Bowdens in the front pew, which usually did not include Jack. <laughs> and then, of course, the congregation. But I, I was kind of struck by that, and I sat with that, that, that idea of you have to forgive first um, before you can really start to understand. And, um, you know, which raises how many times? And how many times do you have to forgive? And, um, and do we just keep forgiving? Um, and why do we need to understand? Maybe, maybe we don't need to understand. 
but I don't know well, if that jumped out to anybody else. Yeah, go ahead. I, I underlined the same passage of the foreseeing your notes about it even. Um, and then the, at the very end of that same paragraph, it says, if you forgive, you may indeed still not understand, but you will be ready to understand. And that is the posture of grace. And that line, I just went, well, that just, it, there was a lot of weight to that, I thought, in terms of, again, a definition um, of, of how to be or, or what life is or what faith is. And um, yeah, that, I don't know. I feel like I need to read that paragraph about like 20 more times to really fully understand it because there's a lot there. Yeah, it, that um, from a from a theological standpoint, uh, it strikes me as really interesting as well. That you um, you know on a Sunday morning, we one of the things that we always do on Sunday morning is ask for forgiveness um, and and believe that God forgives us and and to think that not only does God forgive us, but that God also seeks to understand us is adds another sort of layer of depth and meaning to that, to that ritual that, um, that God seeks to not only pardon and restore, but then also to understand <laughs> why, why, why are you so uncharitable in your thought towards that person or whatever the case may be that it adds a, a, a lot more depth and richness, I think, to that to that concept. Well, Bowden holds up that model of forgiveness, but you know, forgiveness is very difficult. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, humanly very difficult, and I think one of the overriding questions in the novel is, you know. Who, who succeeds in forgiving and how? And we don't know enough yet to answer that question, but I think it might be good to keep in mind as each person sort of develops in the novel, where, where are places that the person has, I mean, everybody has things to forgive and to be forgiven for, obviously, but, you know, who makes progress there <laughs> and how? Uh, there were a, kind of a couple of other, a few other sort of character quirks that, uh, that you all noticed. Uh, and one has to do with laughter. Jenny, you uh, made note of this, um, being curious about the role of, of laughter and just like it was in, in Gilead. Um, and Constance, you make note here um jack's laughter is almost always subject to interpretation is it smug is it embarrassed amused is it distance keeping is it dissembling um what do you think is going on with laughter in this novel i think we were i mean in a way i almost felt conditioned to be looking for it because we did <laughs> look and talk about it so much with the first book which is fine um, what I really liked what Constance said about it being subjective and I want to hear more about that. One thing I will pair with this is that a noticing I had in opposition to that is Glory's sadness 
she feels like she cannot bring her sadness to her father ever. Hmm. Like she has to withhold these things because it will make him upset if he sees her upset. And so, and, and I noticed that in these first 50 pages, not only Jack's laughter, right? But then also when I, I am I, like, Boten, Boten. I'm going to practice before our next one. When, I'm not sure that's right. <laughs> well, it's okay. I just, I just need a name and I just need to practice. When Boten laughs, that seems like a big deal. It's like, he's, he's seeking, he wants there to be noise. He wants there to be happy noise and joy and the games. And you mentioned that in our notes, like it's, it's so interesting because these, again, it's, it comes with their character and how their character is being perceived by the other people around them. Um, but then also about what they feel is, I don't really think Jack feels like he can laugh in a joyful way. It, it's almost like he, uh, he presents himself as a, I'm not, a, I'm not allowed to be joyful or I, I am the one who causes the problem. So my laughter isn't a happy sound sort of thing. And then you have his sister who feels that she can't show her true emotions either because they're not, they will not be processed well or received well. Well, she cries all the time too. And she has this, what I thought was a hilarious wish of that um, instead of weeping visibly on your face, you could leak water out of your hand or your foot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and that's kind of always been, like, as a young girl, she was always um, quick to tears or easy to tears yeah. uh, in some way. Yeah, and you noted the role of games, um, checkers, uh, monopoly, that sort of thing. What do you think that that might be about? Well, I'm, it's just something I'm watching. I'm not sure. Um, a, a very minor point, but we had references also to um, the theories of, of Engels and to W.B. E. Du Bois. And we have, you know, Mr. Trotsky and, and the way he does things in, in contrast to this game monopoly that celebrates <laughs> sort of material acquisition I you know I thought that was kind of I mean if you think about it I don't think most people if they're as they're playing Monopoly or are um, thinking that way um but 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 I but I, I was I was fascinated that the one Glory's a little girl and her father is amusing her by playing Monopoly that he shows he has talents as a magician hmm. yeah. I I mean and and, and she's and and there she's just delighted and, and she's, she's um, remembering a time that she's just laughing. And I don't think she laughs, any, any character in the novel laughs like that. Um, at any other time, at least in, in this novels. So, so yeah, I, I, I just, I, I noticed it enough that, that I thought it, it, it must uh, be accomplishing something and I'm not sure what. Yeah, uh, thinking about thinking about that game of Monopoly uh, reminded me of something else about Glory. That this sense that she, I think she must feel undervalued as a woman. Um, oh yeah. You know, oh yeah. She, 
they play two rounds. She warns Jack that she's really good at Monopoly. <laughs> and they play two rounds. <laughs> and they and they play two rounds, and she's bought up two utilities, and he he throws in the towel. Um, and she it seems as though she had she been born as a boy, she maybe would have pursued the ministry. Um, but it's told that only minister, only men are ministers. Um, and so she then becomes a teacher. But there, there's something about, and maybe this is another, well, maybe not. She must feel confined by the cultural expectations and perhaps even familial expectations. Mm-hmm. Well, for sure. On page 20, she's talking, I, I underlined that as I was reading, and she said, she, she, Glory, seemed always to have known that to their father's mind, the world's great work was the business of men, of gentle, serious men, well-versed in scripture and eloquent at prayer, or in any case, ordained in some reasonably respectable domination, denomination. <laughs> Women were creatures of a second rank, however pious, however beloved, however honored. So, I mean, this is very much the culture in which they were raised. Yeah. And I would think that that would add to her resentment of Jack. Oh, for sure. Well, and and with this whole prodigal son thing, I, I, I mean, you know, her glory's father so thrilled that the Jack is coming back. But who's the person who does the hard work to get ready? you know, right. to actually get ready, right. you know, you know, you know, I mean, who prepares the, the fatted calf and all that kind of stuff. Right. It's, it's not um, the dad it's, it's glory. So, yeah. I was remembering another game that glory remembers from her childhood where she was about to win a game with her siblings and then Jack disappears and they have to go find him. Yep. And she finally confronts him and tells him off and basically says, who do you think you are? Or what gives you the right? Because she didn't get to win the game because he pulled the plug on it. Yeah, it was a game of croquet, ah. um, which I grew up playing um, almost religiously. <laughs> so. and could be dangerous actually i mean those mallets there's no <laughs> they weren't they back in my childhood those mallets were solid mm-hmm. <laughs> you must have felt a mallet <laughs> oh, no <laughs> someone else felt the mallet perhaps <laughs> i didn't say that either <laughs> <laughs> um yeah but there's so much um that we that we could discuss um but i think a a question to maybe kind of uh, wrap up our conversation here because i know jenny will have to pick somebody up uh in in not too terribly long um but just what does this does this remind you of where is it connecting with your life uh with your experience um or maybe yeah let's, let's go with there where is it resonating with you, I suppose? Well, so I, I come from a family of just two kids and same for Ben. And yet now we have five kids. And so for us, it's um, for me with the book, it's watching the, the sibling interactions and this idea of growing up in a big family and, and what that means. Cause I don't know what that's like. My husband doesn't know what that's like, but that's what our kids are living. And so I'm watching this going, what, 
what stories would my children tell someday about the house that is their home and their interactions with each other within it because there's there's just a lot there's a lot going on others well i'm i mean i'm fascinated by jack and and by people that i've known who somehow can't seem to act sort of in their own interest you know the thing that they the choice that they could make that would make everybody happy and and so forth and that would be as it were a virtuous choice um and it's obvious and somehow they just can't do it and and so he he fascinates he fascinates me um i would also say that um I really enjoy um, Marilyn Robinson's writing style and her, you know, lots of the turns of phrases and 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 that kind of thing. Um, I find I find that wonderful. Jenny, I loved it when you pointed out that um, Gloria is happy to be home in the yard, but not in the house, and it made me think of mm -hmm. a parallel scene where she thinks of the church that she grew up in which is no longer the same building but what she loved about it was being able to look outside the sort of simplicity of the inside of the church and then she remembers what kind of house she dreamt of having and that it would be <laughs> simple and yes. you know, spare and I grew up in a knick-knacky Victorian house and always dreamed like Glory did of having a very spare home, <laughs> open and airy. <laughs> yeah. Well, like I said, I mean, we could, we could probably spend another uh, several weeks <laughs> and chatting about this book, and we will. So that's good. Um, so hopefully folks have found this, uh, this little, this little pre-recorded video. Uh, we'll have another one of these in two weeks' time. Uh, next week, uh, we're going to have an open Zoom meeting and discussion for anybody uh, who wants to can join in and chat about what's going on in the lives of uh, Jack and Glory and Ames and whoever else comes wandering down the path, I suppose. Uh, maybe Ames's cat will make an appearance. Uh, who's to say, right? Um, so, yeah, I'm... Thank you to Anne and Constance and to Jenny for joining in this conversation. Like I said, they'll return to this format in a couple of weeks time. Uh, so folks can be on the lookout for that. But um, I hope that uh, everyone has enjoyed this conversation and I look forward to returning it, uh, returning to it in just a little bit. So uh, thank you all for joining us and have a lovely time. Thanks for organizing it, Damon. Yes, mm -hmm. thank you. Mm -hmm. Thanks, everyone. Mm -hmm. Yes.